Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Well, good morning. Hey, it's so good to hear you. You guys are awake. That first service, it was a little tough. Way to go, guys. Hey, uh, I'm John Adams, lead pastor here at the Vine. I want to welcome you here, and if you're online, thank you for joining us. And uh, it is so good together to travel through the book of Acts. We're in a series called, really, The Power of the Church in the Face of Persecution. And it's been such a joy to, to be a part of this. And I don't know if you knew, know this, but today in the church calendar across the world, this is called Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday, yeah, is a great Sunday because it is is thinking about the filling of the Holy Spirit that sends us out to do His work and His mission. And so today, as we are here on Pentecost Sunday, may we be changed by the power of the gospel in our hearts. It doesn't really matter what you look like on the outside. You all look pretty good. What matters much more is your heart. What's going on inside of you? Are you ready and yielded and ready to say, God, I want you to change me and do a new thing beginning inside me and learn how to continually trust you? So we're going to be looking at that. And we remember that that as we've looked at the book of Acts, we saw that Jesus... Uh, he ascended to heaven, and he told his disciples they weren't going to be alone, right? And he promised that he would leave them his Holy Spirit. And so he instructed them to wait in an upper room for about 10 days. They prayed and waited on the Lord. And we know that after 10 days, Jesus kept his promise. He poured out his Holy Spirit on the 120. They came out and spoke the gospel in the languages of people who were gathered there for what was called the Feast of Weeks or the Jewish celebration of Pentecost, which is, which was, there were probably two to three times the number of people that were normally in Jerusalem, and they were there for a, that religious rite, that festival. And these crowds that were hearing the gospel of Jesus in their own language, it pretty much got their attention. Would you guess that would happen? And so, so they are like wondering, wow, what's going on? And so the beauty we found out in, as we've looked in Acts is that the Spirit is poured in our hearts so that we would know that Jesus, our God, would be with us 24-7. You know what? If you've received Jesus and his forgiveness He's always with you through the person of Christ. There's not a moment that he's not with you. And this is so important. This should increase our confidence in God in all times, but especially when you face hard moments. And we all do. At some point in our life, we're going to go through struggles. It may not be direct persecution, but we have hard moments. And we need to know that we're not abandoned. We're not orphans. God is near. He is with us. And so think about about how it's commonly believed, for example, 
that a deaf or blind person may have better senses. What, if someone has actually lost one of their five senses, I think physicians say that the brain actually reconnects in new ways so that some of their remaining senses are heightened. But being filled with the Holy Spirit is a sensitivity to being controlled by God and guided by God. Amen. It's a continual losing or dying to a sensitivity to your own self or your flesh. And it's a sensitivity to his guidance. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this day. And that's the hope, is that we come out of this place and that we will be more sensitive to God who dwells and lives inside of us for those who believe in Jesus. And so we want to grow in sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's leading. And we're going to also look at a phrase today, what it means to be cut to the heart. And cut to the heart is like, what it's saying in essence is, kind of I was going out, out with Voanu after the walkathon, and we were looking at all the, you know, the exterior things of the painting in this gathering place and in the welcome area. It looks pretty good, right? It's getting better, yeah? But he, he pretty much said it well. He says, you know what, John, that's nice. But what matters is what's going on in our hearts and the people who gather. We could all look wonderful. We could do great accomplishments. We could have great facilities and build the most beautiful buildings. But God wants to change you from the inside out. And he does that as the Holy Spirit applies the work of Jesus to your heart that we would be cut to the heart. And so we're going to look at what that means today. So today we're finishing up also Peter's sermon of Pentecost. And we've been in it about three weeks. This is the third week. And here Peter is different. He's not that impulsive guy anymore. He is changed. He's no longer just sensitive to his flesh and operating how he would normally operate. He is controlled more and more by God. He's different, and he stands up to preach. And guess what? The crowds don't say to him, crucify him. They're actually cut to the heart. They're changed. So today we're going to look at this whole idea of growing in sensitivity to our Holy, the Holy Spirit's leading. And we want to look at God's word. And as we read this today, I'd like to invite you to stand with me. And I am going to add a few words because today the passage has a lot of references to different people. And so when it says he or has a reference, I'm going to add my words. This is not, my words are not God's word. But I just want to clarify so, the, so that it might be, the word of God might be more understandable to you. Okay. Got it? Okay, this is God's word. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Brothers, Peter preaching, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb, David's, is with us this day. Being therefore a prophet, remember David was a king, but he was now acting like a prophet. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath 
to him that he would set one of his descendants on his, David's throne. He, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the Hades, nor to his flesh, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He, Jesus, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord, God the Father, says to my Lord, Jesus the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he, Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to him. You may be seated. So today... We're going to see in verses 29 through 35 this, that we all need a hero to rescue us. You know, you think about that in the culture a lot, a hero. We need a hero. Everyone needs a hero. In fact, in our culture, we are obsessed with heroes, sports heroes, music heroes, even even not literal heroes. And, And we think about the Marvel heroes, And we want a hero because we all long for someone greater than us to help us and to rescue us. Here, David, who was the greatest king of Israel, he was a hero of sorts in his country. Everyone had said, this guy is the greatest fighter. He slayed Goliath. He slayed his ten thousands of people. This man is a mighty warrior. I mean, braveheart, crazy unbelievable, skilled warrior. And yet he admitted one thing. He said, I'm a hero, but there is a greater hero that's coming. And he's coming because we all are going to die, including me. And we need someone to help us when we die to do something in the afterlife to actually bring us to life. And so here in this passage, we see Peter teaching about David, the greatest king of Israel, who was about a thousand years before 
Jesus. And in verse 29, it says that Peter spoke with confidence about, about what was happening, that David, the greatest king, looked to Jesus as his hero and saw the resurrection of Jesus as his hope. He saw that a thousand years before Jesus about the resurrection. He was acting like a prophet. It's so beautiful to see how Peter here in this passage describes David's faith in this coming hero. And in verse 31, he said that David actually foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. And he goes on to talk about what that means. And why is that important, church? Here's the important thing. Because David knew without a resurrected Lord, he would just be corrupt in the grave. He would rot in the grave. But because we have a Christ who has been raised from the dead, guess what? We all will be raised from the dead. God will do this great work. It is the hope of what Jesus has done. And so David looks forward in confidence to the coming Jesus. In verses 34 and 35, it says that Jesus, not David, ascended to heaven. And Peter here quotes David, one of the clearest of Psalms. It's the third time in the sermon he quotes the Old Testament. Old Testament, remember, is so vital. It's as much the word of God as the New Testament. We've talked about that. But in Psalm 110, it predicts and prophesies about Jesus, the coming Messiah. And there it says this, the Lord, God the Father, said to my Lord, Jesus the Son. And, and Jesus the Son, his, remember his, his title was the Christ, which means Messiah, the coming one, the one who will rescue us. And it says that he will, that he, the Father will cause, it will cause the Son to sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. How does this happen? Well, here's how it happens. Jesus comes his first time as a baby. And we know that he lived a perfect life. He died. He rose again from the dead. Thanks be to him. Ascended to heaven. He's praying for us now. Soon he will return. These are the truths of God's word. But when he comes again, he's not just coming as a baby. He is the mighty ruler of the universe. God is returning, and when he comes, he will destroy all of his and our enemies, including Satan and everyone who follows his wily ways. And so... Peter is rejoicing that David knew all this is going to happen. And so we see that we all need a hero to rescue us. It doesn't matter your position. You could be a king. You could be a CEO. You could be a pretty smart religious person. You and I all need a hero to rescue us. And then in verses 36 and 37, it's, he goes on. He, goes, he says that we are all responsible for this hero's death. Look at verse 36. It says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter wanted them to know, these crowds and us, 
that God the Father made Jesus both Lord and Christ. The Father, God the Father exalts and honors his perfect Son. So what, what do we, but what did, did we do? What did they do to Jesus? Peter, Peter shares these haunting words in the second half of verse 36. Look at it. It says, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now think about it, church. Peter is preaching to a crowd of Jewish people and Gentiles who were God-fearers, gathered for this Jewish festival called Pentecost. And now as he's preaching, many of these crowds had come from different nations. Many were not there when Jesus was crucified. And they certainly were not directly responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. They didn't put him on the cross or nail nail his hands to the cross. They weren't even there a part of the crowd, many of them in this crowd. And what does Peter say? He says this. He says, it doesn't matter. You killed Jesus. Now, how can Peter say this? And, And what about us today? Scripture tells us, we know this, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, here's here's the thing. Peter says this to the crowds, but he could just as well say it to each one of that. You and me, our sins are responsible for the death of Jesus. Do you get that? It's because of our sins. Whether you are, have been pretty bad in your life or you've been very religious and compared to others, you don't, we don't see a lot of external sins. Your sin, no matter how good or bad you have been, killed Jesus. We are all responsible for his death. And that should cause us to be humble ourselves before the Lord and just simply acknowledge, Lord, my sin killed you. The hero, the hero who actually came to rescue me actually died for me because of me. Wow. We are all responsible for the hero's death. But there's Better news, believe me. We all are to respond thirdly to the hero's good news. And we see this in verses 38 and through 41. Verse verse 37 says, Now when they, the crowds, heard this, they were cut to the heart. The hearts of many in the crowd here were, were cut to the heart. Verse 37, they had a deep sense of remorse for their sin. They responsible, were felt responsible and knew that their sins killed Jesus. And because of it, they were deeply saddened and very aware of what they were responsible for. George Whitfield, a great preacher in the Second Great Awakening, one day was preaching in Bristol, England. Now, Bristol was a place where there were lots of coal mines and a lot of if you will, a lot of really struggling, under-resourced coal miners work there. 
But when they heard that George Whitfield was coming, he had become known for his preaching and the power of God and what God was doing. And so literally thousands gathered that day in Bristol, England of these miners and their faces were blackened with soot from coal. And they weren't dressed well, but here in front of them is this Oxford-trained man in clerical robes, black robes. And he's preaching to these thousands of people without any kind of amplification. (laughs) It was said that Whitfield could be heard by more than 10,000 people in an open-air field. And he preached the gospel, and he told them, in essence, the same thing Peter told them here, your sins killed Jesus, but he came to rescue you. Will you come and repent and believe? And it says in church history that these coal miners, witnesses to that day, said that the coal miners, when they heard this sermon and this gospel message, their faces were black with soot. Suddenly, little white blotches began to appear on their faces. And these blotches were tears creating little pools or gutters on their cheeks. You see, they were cut to the heart. Are you cut to the heart? Do you come and have a sense of your responsibility and the wonder that Jesus died for you? You see, I love the question the crowds, many in the crowds asked Peter in verse 37, brothers, what shall we do? Listen to Peter's response. Verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Those are probably the the Gentile nations far off. And for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You see, Peter here says something very clearly. Don't do one more work. Simply open your heart, humble yourself in the presence of God and repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, repent here means not only to admit your sin, was responsible for Jesus' death, but to continually turn from it. Repentance is not just done once, church. It is a continual work of grace that God gives to us and that we need to respond. You see, we all need forgiveness due to our sin and <clears throat> because our sin killed the Savior. And we need to continually live in what's probably called a a posture of sin, a posture of repentance, excuse me. Now, when I think about posture, my dad throughout my life growing up always said, and he's got great posture, good for you, dad. (laughs) But I slouch or slump a little bit. And I have to continually think, put your shoulders back, John. And for, I don't, whatever reason, as a kid, I didn't do it very well. So I, I slouch a little bit. Put your shoulders back. Stand up straight. 
Get in a good posture. Okay, I feel better. Do I look better now? <laughs> I'm thinking about it. But you see, <clears throat> repentance is a posture, a spiritual posture. Yes, you have to continually think about it, but you need the Holy Spirit to help you to continually turn from your sins and to trust Jesus' work by faith. The Holy, Holy Spirit is the one who gives you the power to do this. And then baptized, verse 38, is an outward sign of grace of, of Jesus to those who repent and believe and to their children, we believe. Baptism is an act of obedience. Different from repentance, it is not done multiple times. It should be done one time. It is an external sign of an internal, an internal work of God's grace. It's when you're cut to the heart, you should be baptized. When you, if you have not been baptized or if you have not come to know Jesus as your Lord and God in a public way. And you see, so it's this external sign and it's all to be done in the name of Jesus. Verse 38. And look, church, the name of Jesus is not just a brand, right? His name means literally who he is and what he has done. And we have either one of two responses to the name and work of Jesus. Your heart today and every day is either softened or hardened. You're either responding to the gospel in a way where you acknowledge, I need a savior right now. Even if I am going to heaven and I'm a Christ follower, I need rescue from the power of my sin. As a result, gladness and joy flow from our heart as he fills you with his Holy Spirit and he gives you more and more his desires. You see, but a hardened response is this. It's, it's not admitting your need for a savior. It's coming to church and letting the word just glaze over you. It's not doing the work of repentance. It's thinking about other things or thinking about how that other person needs this message and not you. You see, it's operating as your own self-savior. The Puritans put it this way about the work of God in this process. It's, they said this, the same sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. Are you allowing God's grace to melt your heart? You know, every one of us gets stony hearts. We get, even though he's given us, for those who, us who know Christ, he's changed our heart, we, we fall back into our old ways. And we need to continually say, God, please let me come with a soft, cut-to-the-heart way. I'm discipling several guys in this church and, and who want to grow in God's grace as, as I need to continue to grow in God's grace. In the past few years, meeting with one of our pastors, Mark Pugh, he asked specifically, like about a year and a half ago, John, will you help me? Will you pray for me that I will be continually filled with the Holy Spirit because I'm so easily con controlled by myself and my my best works or efforts. And Mark is growing 
in leaps and bounds in this area. I can tell you, he's always loved Jesus, but it's so beautiful to see how he is becoming more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit that leads him to Jesus and, and, and all aligned with his wonderful word. Are you guys growing in that way? Are you cut to the heart? Is your heart softened to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, maybe you've been baptized and gone to church for years and you've heard the gospel preach. It's possible that repeatedly hearing the gospel and not taking steps that he shows you, it's actually a hardening of your heart. You see, God will not be mocked nor tricked by anyone. He knows your heart. I don't know your heart. He does. Will you repent? Will you? Will you? Ask God. God, will you cut me to the heart? If you're not a believer, this would happen for the first time. And of course, at some point, we would love then to baptize you. Please let us know that you are turning in faith to him, whether you're here in person or online. We'd love to help you. Our pastors, elders, or anyone here who's a member of this church would love to help you with that. But all of us, including me, need to be softened and cut to the heart. Because... Gang, the hard news is our sins killed Jesus. But the great news is he forgave us and loves us with an everlasting love. He adopts us as his own. And he fills us with himself, with his Holy Spirit to continually change us as we live in a posture of repentance. And so as we come to the Lord's Supper, communion is another name for it. I want to invite you to pray this. Help me, Lord, to lose my self-focused desires and grow in sensitivity to your Holy Spirit's leading. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.